In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. You may be seated. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned, and they wept, and fasted until even for Saul, and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. Well, as I was discussing uh, just before the service, a lot has happened between last week's lesson and today's lesson. Uh, Since the slain of Goliath, that is, uh, King Saul and Jonathan, his son, are now dead. And David, in today's Old Testament lesson, he sings this song of lament mourning both Jonathan and Saul. Now, if you know what happened in between 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 2 Samuel chapter 1, this might strike you as odd that he mourns for both Jonathan and Saul. I mean, the the former we can understand. Jonathan and David were the best of friends. Jonathan had been utterly loyal to David even though his loyalty to David and his friendship with David and his backing of God's choice of David meant that Jonathan himself would never see the throne. But Saul? Mourning Saul? You see, Saul hadn't been very good to David. That might be the understatement of the century. In fact, Saul spent years trying to kill David. I mean, things sour right after David kills Goliath. The Israelites are celebrating David's victory, Israel's victory. 1 Samuel 18, 7 and following. And the women answered one to another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, And David played with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. So Saul's great victory of David over Goliath. He's driving home from work and he hears this song on the radio, new hit song, and he doesn't like it. And David's ministering to him. This is what David would do. An an evil spirit been sent from the Lord to to torment Saul. And David would play uh, music, the lyre. He would play it and it would soothe Saul. And the spirit comes over Saul and he, he tries to impale the young David twice. It's just the beginning of it. 
I mean, how does Saul, how does David respond to Saul seeking his life for years? What's his response? Because you see, the Lord is with David. He's not with Saul anymore. If, he, if David had wanted to kill Saul, he could have. In fact, he had two opportunities to do just that. The first recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 4. This is when Saul gets word, this is later, he gets word that David and his men, because David is on the run from Saul, he gets word that they're encamped in En Gedi, which is an oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. And Saul, as one does on road trips, he has to use the restroom. And so he goes into this cave, and unbeknownst to him, David and his men are hiding in the back of this cave. And David's men say to him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou may doest to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing that he is the, Lord, the anointed of the Lord. A sort of sermon within the sermon. See, they've got Saul. And, and his men say, See, this is the Lord giving him into your hands. Protect yourself. You know, it's self-defense, essentially. Argument can be made. Saul's trying to kill him, so he kills Saul to stop him. But David doesn't do that. You see, just because, I think sometimes, just because circumstances are lining up in our favor, we think, oh, this is what we should do. This is what the Lord wants. And just because we can walk through an open door doesn't mean we should. David could have very easily read that situation just like his men. But David does get into a little mischief. He goes up and he, he cuts off the edge of his robe. And even for that, David's heart is cut to the quick. Because this is the king whom God has set up. And it's up to God to take him down. Not David. He's not to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. David has this pro profound respect and love for the one whom the Lord had anointed king over Israel. And there seems to be in David's life this marked trust in God. That again, God is the one that raised Saul up, and God is the one who will bring him down. Again, David could have easily justified uh, the killing of Saul on the grounds of self-defense. But his heart is pricked, and he feels this deep remorse for even cutting off the corner of his robe, which is a way that he shows mercy to Saul. He comes out and, and says, in essence, hey, look, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Moreover, David trusted the Lord to keep his promises. He didn't do things 
for his own advantage, but rather allowed the Lord to act on his behalf. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God who would exalt him in due time. David's attitude towards his ascent to the throne reminds me of Luke chapter 14 when our Lord says, but when you are invited to a party, that is, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Much wisdom in the way that David conducts himself amidst adversity. And we see in David in real time in his dealing with Saul. What it looks like. To love your enemies. What it looks like to do the right thing and to be a man or woman of virtue and principle, even when those around you are not those things. David loves his enemy, Saul, truly. Now, David, this is important to understand, he wasn't a doormat. He didn't just roll over and die. Okay, Saul, please don't hurt me. You know. David's actions towards Saul are not misplaced compassion or weakness, but rather meekness. And meekness is power under control. To be meek is not to be a nice, passive non-threatening, or smarmy, sort of ingratiating person. Meekness describes those who have power, who, for example, have swords and know how to use them, but keep them sheathed. David is a man of strength and virtue. He's a man of physical strength, and he's a, he ha, he's a man who has strength of character, David is also a man of humility. And what is humility? Humility consists in seeing oneself truly. It's having the proper view of self. In who, in light of who God is, and in light of who God has created other people to be, I see myself within that hierarchy. Humility is not low self-esteem. It's not, for example, uh, feigning incompetence, just acting like you, you just don't know what you're doing at all times. Uh, our men's group yesterday, we, we talked about this a little bit because in the screw tape letters, there's a chapter on humility. And he says in there that humility is not smart people pretending to be stupid or beautiful people trying to pretend to convince themselves that they're ugly. Rather, it's, it's understanding your place on earth in light of God's place on his throne in heaven. David's respect then, his, his humility 
it flows from his respect for and fear of God himself. God had anointed him king. Who was who David? I think this is really David's attitude. Who am I? God, ha, God has raised him up. God has anointed Saul. Who am I to raise my hand against him? So we, we see in David humility and meekness. Humility and meekness. And humility, again, is not humiliation. And meekness is not weakness. Because of David's love and respect for God, he, he loves Saul. But, but I think David loves Saul for his own sake as well. It's quite a song he writes for Saul and Jonathan. I mean, sure, his, his love flowed from his love for God and his friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son. But his lament at Saul's death shows that he genuinely loved Saul himself. And, and David... In his lament, he's able to see the good in Saul and appreciate it. He's able to see the good in Saul and appreciate it, even though Saul was a deeply flawed person. He didn't write him off, in other words, as a total loss. He didn't cancel him. And I find this amidst our, our current cultural milieu, I find this refreshing, that if a person is flawed, um, you know, we're in a situation that if someone maybe has done or said something off color when they were 17 years old, and I, I thank God every day that Facebook didn't exist when I was a teenager, um, or something like that, but, but if someone has, and it's really, I think, a, a sort of new Puritanism, It's self-righteousness that, that if someone has a flaw, we, we write them off as irredeemable. There's, there's no road back for you. And, and Saul is someone who's utterly flawed. And, and David's not naive. David's not being Pollyannish about who Saul is. But he appreciates him and, and what God had used him to do in, in spite of the fact that this guy was trying to kill him for many years. David's love for Saul was not naive. He knew who Saul was. And I think that's important. That his love for Saul and the compassion he showed him, again, it wasn't weakness, it wasn't naivety, it wasn't David being a doormat or allowing himself to be taken advantage of. He knew who Saul was. When, when David spares Saul's life a second time, and this is recorded in 1 Samuel 26, Saul, like he did the first time at the cave of Engedi, Saul repents. He says that he's sorry. He says to David in the second instance that he's not going to seek to do him harm any longer. And he even, he blesses David. Well, David doesn't buy it. David doesn't go, you know, go down into the valley where Saul was and, and give him a big hug. He responds like, oh, okay, bud, and goes his way. 
David keeps these healthy boundaries in place. He loves Saul. He cares for him. He, do, he does the right thing. But, but he, does, he's not, he does not allow himself to be taken advantage of. In fact, it's right after Saul says all this and is crying out to David and saying he's not going to harm him any longer, and he blesses David. First verse of chapter 27. He says in his heart, right after this exchange with Saul, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. He knows that there is confession. Saul is saying that he's, he's done that which is wrong. There might even be some contrition, that he feels bad about what he's done. But I don't think David sees that there's sufficient intention of amendment of life. That Saul is going to actually change. And, and you, you need all three of those in order for forgiveness to happen and also for restoration to happen in relationship. That's to be confession. You have to, you have to articulate, say that yes, X was wrong, this was wrong, to confess. Take you to seminary for a second. It's a Greek word, homo lageo, the verb, which homo, same, logos word. It's the say the same word. In other words, to confess is to agree with God about your sin, to say the same thing that he does about your ways. But David, he walks this tightrope. He finds a way to do the right thing, even when it's difficult. He figures out how to honor the Lord's anointed, the king of Israel, even when the king of Israel is seeking his life. And David honors Saul to the very end. And as we see from today's Old Testament lesson, even after his death, uh, at the end, of, the end of 1 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, is great, especially from a storytelling perspective. Um, Saul, he, he dies at the end of, of 1 Samuel. He's mortally wounded in battle against the Philistines. And he doesn't want the Philistines to finish him off because they're going to torture me, they're going to disgrace me, they're going to do bad things. And so he ends up, he can't get anyone to, to finish him off, so he, but he, falls, he ends up falling on his own sword. But then at the beginning of 2 Samuel, a man, an Amalekite, he brings word to David of Saul and Jonathan's death. And, you know, it's obviously a well-known fact that David and Saul are enemies. And so it looks like what happens is he wants to curry favor with David. He wants to get on the good side of the presumptive king now that Saul is dead. And so he, he tells a little fib in his own favor. He lies and s says that he comes upon Saul and that he ran him through and finished him off. Well, it doesn't go well for this guy. Because David says to him, think about this. David does not commend him for killing his enemy. He does not commend him for that man that, that sought his life for all those years. He says this, how is it? that you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. 
and then David. And this will show that David was not um, incapable of force or violence. He has the man executed on the spot for regicide, the death of a king, the killing of a king. I want to end with this. We always, I think it's not, when we, when we read a story, and this is, when I say story, I don't mean it's a, like a fictional story, but we read any narrative or, or, or story, fictional or not, we, we try to find ourselves within that story. And I think one of the things that we see perhaps with, with David and Saul in this narrative is that David's love for Saul speaks to the love that God has for human beings, that, that God's love that he has especially for his children, even his wayward children. And if we are to find ourselves in this story, we may find that we are often in the position of Saul and that Christ is lovingly and patiently calling us back to himself, even though at times we might be struggling and fighting against him. I see David's lament for Saul as the precursor to Christ's lament over Jerusalem and his once he came to his own and his own did not receive him. As, as God's lament for his wayward children. You see, God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And over those who reject or abandon the faith, God weeps. So brothers and sisters, let us cooperate with the Holy Spirit given to us at baptism. Let us put on, by his strength, all virtue. Let us love our enemies as David loved his enemies, as Christ loved his enemies who cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Let us love our enemies in that way, with all godly strength and with wisdom and proper boundaries. And let us not, brothers and sisters, exalt ourselves. Let us not try to advance our own way, but rather trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who will provide all of our needs and exalt us if we are faithful in due time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.